Wednesday, December 5th, 2018. You are listening to the Daily Dose Sports Podcast, and I am your host, Clint Daly, coming to you from Denver, Colorado. I am here in the Mile High City, and we are back for another day of talking sports with a dose of common sense. Happy Wednesday to you. We are now halfway through our week, and you know, it was back on this day, December 5th in 1987, that the 53rd Heisman Trophy Award was awarded and it went to one Tim Brown from Notre Dame, the very first wide receiver to ever win the award. Now, during that season with Notre Dame, touchdown Timmy had nearly 2,000 all-purpose yards. He had seven touchdowns and you did have to account for Tim Brown on every single play. We saw that in the NFL. He was a dangerous, dangerous receiver. But honestly, that year, I don't know that he was that great. Notre Dame went 8-4 and four in 1987. And Tim Brown, in the Heisman Trophy voting, he beat out Syracuse quarterback Don McPherson. Yeah, who? And Holy Cross running back Gordy Lockbaum. I mean, hey, it was a lean year. What can you say? I mean, Miami was named the national champion that year, but quarterback Steve Walsh, he hadn't been overly impressive, so he didn't really get any votes. It was just one of those seasons in college football that we sometimes see that a real Heisman candidate didn't really show themselves. They didn't really separate themselves from the pack. So Tim Brown won the Heisman in 1987. Now, how did Notre Dame finish their season? Notre Dame was actually ranked number 12 going into bowl season. They went to the Cotton Bowl where they faced number 13, Texas A&M. And Texas A&M came into that game with a chip on their shoulder. They wanted to beat the Heisman winner. They wanted Tim Brown to finish his collegiate career on a losing note. In fact, on one play in the Cotton Bowl, they tackled Tim Brown and ripped the towel off of his waist took it to their sideline as, I don't know, some sort of bizarre trophy. A&M beat the Irish in the Cotton Bowl. And some of the reason that they beat Notre Dame, I am convinced, is the fact that they prepared from the time their season ended to the time that game started to beat the Heisman Trophy winner. Tim Brown won the Heisman. We are going to beat him. That is our focus. We are going to find a way to beat Notre Dame. And they did it. And we have seen that at other times. That wasn't the only time. I mean, think back to Heisman winners and how they have done in bowl games. We all remember Texas beating Reggie Bush and USC back in 2005. Lamar Jackson, just back in 2016, got smoked by LSU in his bowl game. Marcus Mariota lost to Ohio State in his bowl game after he won the trophy at Oregon. Florida beat both Sam Bradford and Troy Smith after their Heisman winning seasons. I only bring all this up because do not forget this weekend on Saturday night, the Heisman Trophy presentation will take place in New York. Invited to that ceremony will be three quarterbacks. We have Alabama's Tua Tagovailoa, we have Oklahoma's Kyler Murray, and we have Ohio State's Dwayne Haskins. Now I'm just throwing this out there especially for Alabama and for Oklahoma fans. If I were a fan of either one of those teams, I'm not sure I want the Heisman. I don't think I want my guy to win the Heisman. I would rather win the national championship because we have seen time and time again, it doesn't always go well for those Heisman winners in their final game. But that's just me. That's just me. Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, hey, 
I have no fear. We can win the Heisman and we'll win the national championship too. But we have seen history does not always play out that way. Hey, if you'd like to contact the show, if you'd like to let us know maybe your favorite Heisman winner, we would love to hear from you at the Daily Dose. Hit us up on email, dailydosesports at gmail.com or go find us over on Facebook or Twitter. Both of those handles are at Daily Dose Sports. Doesn't have to be Heisman related. Maybe you've got some feedback for the show. Maybe you've got a question. Maybe you've got a comment. Maybe you have a question for one of our guests that we have on the show here and there. Feel free to reach out. I'll try to reach out to them. But either way, we would love to hear from you. Also, don't forget to finish up some of that holiday shopping you might need to get done over at tpublic.com where you can find some of the latest Daily Dose gear over there. They've got a wide selection of a number of items with our Daily Dose logo on it. You might want to stop by tpublic.com and get some shopping done for that Daily Dose listener in your life. Now, today on the show, we will, of course, be taking a look at a top news story coming out. Going to have to discuss it a little bit. I know there's a few stories coming out, but we're going to talk about the big one. And then we will be continuing our conversation with one of the top high school basketball coaches in the country because Russ McKinstry is a huge sports fan and he can talk about pretty much any sporting event we want to talk about. Now, yesterday on the show, we sat down with Russ and we discussed college football. Today, we are going to change our focus to the NFL. We are going to get to that conversation in just one minute. But first, before we get to that, we do have the news that Urban Meyer is retiring as Ohio State's head coach following this year's Rose Bowl. Offensive coordinator Ryan Day is going to take over as head coach beginning on January 2nd. That is what the school announced in a press conference that took place yesterday. Now, Meyer has coached Ohio State for the past seven seasons. But at the age of 54, he has battled the effects of a cyst on his brain. They say it causes severe headaches, especially when you are under stress. We know coaching is a lot of stress. We have seen that. The cyst was diagnosed back in 1998, but they're saying it's gotten worse over the past few years. Hey, we've seen the effects on Urban Meyer. We saw him drop to his knees back when Ohio State was playing Indiana. We saw him look kind of distracted and disoriented at times on the sideline during games. We saw him rubbing his head, just didn't look like he was feeling all that great. But Meyer has said repeatedly he planned on coaching this next season, and he looked like he was getting better over recent weeks. When Ohio State beat Northwestern for the Big Ten Championship, we didn't really see Urban Meyer look like he was having any physical struggles there, but you have to think that maybe his family got involved and said, hey, you might need to take a step back just for your health alone. And Ryan Day, who will be taking over the job, he is the coach that served as Ohio State's acting head coach for those first three games this season after Ohio State had suspended Urban Meyer for mishandling the employment of his former assistant coach, Zach Smith. But here is the question that I have for you on Urban Meyer. What exactly is the legacy of Urban Meyer? There's no question. Dude can flat out coach. He has won everywhere he has gone, including stops like Bowling Green and stops like Utah. He has still managed to win. Urban Meyer is 186 and 32 as a college head coach at Ohio State, Florida, Utah, and Bowling Green. He has three national championships. He has seven conference championships. And there is no question, he is an amazing recruiter. He has pulled some of the top players in the country, you're in, you're out to whatever school he's at. And yet, he's also going to be remembered for bringing in, 
let's just say, some sketchy people to his programs. I believe that Urban Meyer is one of the greatest college football coaches in history, and yet, I'm not sure that I would be willing to send a recruit or my son or someone like that that I cared about to play for him because we know he has at times brought in some people whose character is really, really questionable. You think back to Aaron Hernandez and what was going on back in 2006. You think back to some of the other kids that we have seen get in trouble while playing for Meyer. And then you think to Zach Smith and what all he was doing when he was employed by Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer has to be remembered as one of the greatest college coaches in this modern era. No question about that. And he also does have a little bit of a stain on his record because some of the people he brought in were not always the best people. And that is going to stick with Urban Meyer, like it or not. Hey, coming back, we are going to bring in another coach who at times may have had some lapses in bringing in people because Russ McKinstry actually did hire me to coach with him. And I very well may have been the Zach Smith to his Urban Meyer. We are going to be getting back to our conversation with Russ when we get back. So yesterday, we sat down with longtime high school basketball coach Russ McKinstry to get some of his thoughts on college football. Does he think we should expand the playoff to eight? Why is college football west of the Mississippi so mediocre, it seems like, lately? And how in the world... Does Nick Saban keep winning down at Alabama? How do you keep everyone so motivated? How do you keep everyone so hungry down at Alabama? He answered all of those questions and then some. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. But today, we are actually going to shift our focus to the NFL and look at some of the things going on in that league. Who does he like to win at all? And what does he think of this whole situation with Kansas City Chiefs running back Kareem Hunt. So we have a number of things to discuss with him. We now continue our conversation with Russ McKinstry. Coach, let's switch over to the NFL because we are in the home stretch of the NFL regular season. You know, we wait all summer. We want the NFL to get here. Oh my goodness, how is it already almost gone? Of course, the big news late Friday was that there is a video that surfaced of Kansas City Chiefs running back Kareem Hunt fighting with a female. Now, first it was announced he was going to be placed on the commissioner's list, meaning he can't practice or play. He will remain on that list either way. But then the Chiefs just cut him. Now, we consider and we can debate about why they cut him and whether they should have cut him, whether the punishment fits the crime or whatever. I don't really want to talk about that because I know every sports station out there is going to be discussing that. But Coach Mack, you have dealt with situations like this as a coach. You have had to discipline players sometimes to the detriment of your team. How do you spin this to your team? How do you convince your team, hey, this is the right move. This is the move we have to make without losing your locker room. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit different, obviously, at the at the high school collegiate level because you you come in and, and your task or you are obligated to have a bottom line that's bigger than winning and that's, you know, integrity and character development, which is, you know, a little bit different than at the professional level where it is really all about winning and it's a business. But yet, really, if, if you're going to succeed in a locker room and as a team and as a as a culture of a of an organization like that, even if it's not a, a football organization, I mean, it's all about culture and and culture starts with accountability and integrity and character and you know, obviously, what Kareem Hunt did and what uh, the Rice gentleman did. Uh, with Baltimore, the Ravens situation, you know, those are just unacceptable incidents of, of 
commend Kansas City for taking quick action. I think it was the appropriate thing to do. And I think anybody in that locker room from Kansas City that doesn't agree with that probably should get some psycho- psychological help because, uh, you know, you have to be pretty warped in your perception of what's right and wrong. It has to be pretty off kilter if you don't agree that that's the best thing to, because that young man needs help too. Sure. You know, his football should not be his priority. It should be getting his life back in order and some counseling. And, and there's something obviously there that is, is not adding up to the best benefit of that gentleman cream. So that should be his priority. And, and Kansas City's priority should be, okay, we're cutting you, but we're going to find some help for you. And now let's go get the team and, and adjust and, and move on with our season. Well, and the crazy thing about it is for the first time in a very long time, the Kansas City Chiefs, like they might have been on the verge of something special. And he yeah. was a huge part of what they did. Because when we know the weather that is coming to Kansas City, we know how the weather gets at Arrowhead Stadium. Being able to run the ball late in the year, that's going to be huge for them. Yeah, you know, I know uh, Kansas City still quite a ways from Cleveland. But uh, Kansas City almost has that same voodoo, you know, witchcraft spell that's been placed on, oh, yeah. on their organization because it, year in and year out, they just seem to find a way not to live up to their capabilities and, and the talent level that they bring into that program. Coach, we're going to move to a subject right now, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to even do it. I still have a number of concerns about this Denver Broncos team. I have a number of concerns about Denver Broncos head coach Vance Joseph, but he's starting to look like maybe, just maybe, he could be growing into the job a little for all of the silly things he misses on replay, for all the goofy decisions he makes, and we're going to punt here, we're going to try a 74-yard field goal here. The team is starting to show some signs of improvement. Can Vance Joseph grow into a job? Can a coach do that? Oh, you bring up a really, really valid and great question, and and I think what it, to me, what it, um, what it spells out for me, coach, is that it shows it, uh, is, a, is a very good indicator of how Vance was not ready to be a head coach. Right. And we're watching someone that had really no qualifications, shouldn't have been named a head coach, kind of learning on the job. And, um, you know, still, and I agree, I think he's made tremendous progress. So we are watching someone that's kind of learning how to coach Sunday by Sunday, you know, in our, in our TV rooms as we watch the Broncos play. And he is getting better. But what he came in with, his skill set, his coaching acumen, you know, how he got the job in the first place still disturbs me that the Bronco franchise with all of its proud tradition and success went that direction when they didn't need to. There were so many different viable options. So I commend Coach Joseph for improving and he's getting better. He still makes mistakes that uh, if I were evaluating a high school coach and he made the same mistakes, I would question whether he should be our head coach at the high school level. Right. And here's a man that's being paid, you know, millions to coach a professional team that still is trying to figure some things out. He's definitely getting better. Uh, I think the next four or five weeks will really be a true indicator of, of where we're at with Coach Joseph and how much he's really learned. Well, and I'm not sure that the Broncos can play their way into the playoffs, but that AFC is wide open because there's so many flaky teams out there. 
some of the things that I'm seeing from this Broncos team, we're seeing improvements on the offensive line. We're seeing a kind of refocus on running the football, which I would think we would have been doing anyways, but they're starting to do some of those things. Again, I still question some of the goofy things he does, but we're seeing improvements where we haven't seen in a few years, which is a little bit encouraging, at least to me. Yeah, totally. I agree. And I, I want to give Coach Joseph credit for that and his assistant coaches. And they really are. I mean, it's starting to look like what a professional football team should look like. Right. And they're playing up to their talent level and, 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 and they play hard. They don't quit. So there's a lot of positives there that uh, hopefully they keep trending that direction. And we go on an unbelievable, magical ride here at the end where we win four or five straight and, you know, get to 10 and six and, and be in a conversation for a playoff spot. I mean, uh, I would, I would love that to happen because, uh, you know, as you know, around here, that's kind of what we expect to happen year in and year out. And it looked like we were going the opposite direction. So that'd be a great turnaround. Well, it would, and I'm not buying it because I don't think it's going to happen, but I hate to be all negative. I'm just more of a realist, but I, I do, like you said, I got to give him a ton of credit for what he's done. Still some weird things, but I think he's, I think he's attacking the things that maybe he can control or maybe the things that he feels like, oh, if I focus on this, the rest of the stuff, uh, maybe, you know, whatever. I mean, I saw yeah. Sean Payton. You talked about the New Orleans Saints. I saw Sean Payton on Monday night make some decisions that I was like, is Vance Joseph making those decisions? I mean, sometimes these coaches do some weird things, but if you have the basic things down, maybe we just live with some of those goofy things. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And yeah, I mean, we all make mistakes. I think one of the things that happens is, is the grind, the fatigue, uh, you know, sometimes we don't factor in that, you know, they're not robots, you right. know, they are human beings and they're going to have bad days and, and make bad decisions based on numerous factors, health conditions, you know, mental stability based on fatigue. So, yeah, I mean, that, that plays into what happens when you coach and I don't care what level you're coaching at. Um, if, if you're not feeling right, your health's not good, you're, you're tired and, and stressed or thinking about family things and other things that, go, that are going on in the organization, uh, something can slip by you very quickly and, and make you look like a fool. And really, it's just based on, you know, uh, a situation maybe that none of the rest of us know what's going on. Coach, the Broncos, Case Keenum has improved. We're starting to see him look like the veteran that we thought we were going to get in the last few weeks. Again, give him a running game. Give him some tight ends to throw to, which they're running out of, but give him a decent defense and maybe he can be okay. But I think the Broncos are probably still going to be on the market for a quarterback in this next NFL draft. Have you seen any college quarterbacks that you're really, I don't know, enamored by, or you say they might take a chance on that guy? Is there anyone coming that you would have an interest in them looking at? Yeah, and I think they should still be in the market for a quarterback. And in that case, you know what I like is I think Billy Musgrave, the offense coordinator for the Broncos, is finally come around to the concept that the rest of the coaching world is is coming around to is don't just, you know, run your system, tailor make your system to fit the, the characteristics and qualities that best fit your quarterback. And that really is the name of the game if you're going to survive. There, I, nobody really excites me at the collegiate level, but again, I think if you are a coach that thinks outside the box and is willing to adjust your system, to fit the characteristics and qualities that best fit the quarterback that you're looking at, then I think you got a really good, solid chance of finding a quarterback that can be special. I mean, the Ohio State quarterback is is an example of that. I think, you know, what a what a stud and unbelievable athlete. And if you found a coach that really would just just take his 
superb athleticism and skill set and say, okay, we're going to just build our system to fit him, then I think you got a shot. But I think what you've seen it over and over is where coaches and GMs uh, try and get a quarterback and then they're going to make him uh, fit the system, you know, fit in, fit into their, their role within the system that they want to run. And I think that that whole concept of coaching that way is totally going out the door as it should. And these coaches are figuring out that, you know, the RPO system, run pass option, that they're doing at the college level, hey, it can be done at the at the special level, but we have to be willing to change our mindset and think outside the box. We saw John Elway go out and take guys like Paxton Lynch, take guys like Brock Osweiler and say, I am so good that I can make them fit into a system, even though it's probably not going to be a system that would really be suited for them, but I'm, I'm good enough, I can do that. I'm looking at guys like even a Trace McSorley at Penn State. He's what, 5'10 or something? You look even at Tua Tagovailoa, he's very young. He's not coming out yet this year. But I go, I would rather find a spot for those guys, figure out how to use them because they're football players. They understand how to play the game. And more importantly, they really want to be good and they really, really want to win. That's huge to me. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield's going to prove that and he's going to totally change the Cleveland Brown organization. And, you know, he... He is not perfect by all means, but just that, uh, you know, that ability to understand the game, think the game, and then the confidence, swagger, it, it, you know, and I'm like you, I, I think that kid from Oklahoma, their quarterback, doesn't project to be an NFL quarterback at all, but he's a Russell Wilson type. So oh, he's a jet. You know, you know, if you want to bring in Russell Wilson to lead your franchise, you know, who wouldn't want Russell Wilson? I'd love to have Russell Wilson. You know, and this kid might be a little bit more athletic than Russell Wilson. So, but again, he's not 6'4", he's not 240, you know, he's not Josh Allen, he's not Josh Rosen. But if you're willing to, to adjust and adapt, I mean, how much fun would it be Sunday to watch that kid play quarterback for the Broncos? I'd love it. You I know, would like, You know, when Tim Tebow was there, yeah, he, uh, by all means, he was not a quarterback. But that was probably one of the funnest years that I ever had watching football because, Coaches were forced to think outside the box to be successful, and, you know, they did. And it, it was so much fun to watch just because, you know, you love Tebow and his competitive fire and his leadership abilities. And I think I think we need more of that in, in professional sports and not trying to be, you know, cookie-cutter type athletes where they fit, you know, numbers and wingspans and weights and 40-yard dash times and so forth. I think, I think coaches are buying finally starting to realize, hey, if you can play, those measurables aren't that uh, much of a priority. It's whether the kids can play or not. Well, and you bring up a great point because we've talked about it here on The Dose. How many all-time great players would have been all-time great combine guys? I think back to guys like a Joe Montana, a Randy Gratishar, yeah. Fred Bolitnikoff, yep. players like that. They would have been horrible in the combine. And you know what? They're some of the best players that ever played. Go get players that can play football. Forget how fast he can swim or whatever. I don't care about that nonsense. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. And I think some GMs and coaches are starting to figure that out. And I hope John Elway is. And you're right. Drew Brees, another perfect example yep. right now, you know, barely six feet tall. If, if he is six feet tall, but. You know, he's just a gamer, and there's so many good kids like that out there that they can, you know, transfer their abilities mentally and their knowledge of the game. You know, it's just like a good point guard we always talk about. They have a sixth sense. They have a unnatural feel that you can't even coach for making the game easy, and that's that's the type of players you want to you know, get in your in your program. 
Coach, if you had to pick, and I know we still have some weeks to go. We haven't even got to the playoffs yet. If you're looking at that goofy AFC, it looks wide open to me. I don't have a clue who's going to win that. The whole situation now with Kareem Hunt makes me a little hesitant on Kansas City. What team do you like coming out of the AFC this year? Well, it, it pains me. I mean, it almost makes me go into convulsions. But if the Patriots get home field advantage with Brady and Belichick and what they bring to the table and Gronk, yeah. uh, you'd have to make them the favorite. The Steelers, same thing. If they end up having home field advantage, the, the talent that they have, uh, you know, and they get a play at home in Pittsburgh in January, uh, I would make them the favorite. Uh, and, and potentially Kansas City, even though they, they lose Kareem Hunt, I still think they have a lot there. I just, I don't have faith in their defense at all to carry them through. So yeah, it, it, it might be, it might be, you know, it might be a Baltimore Ravens team or something like that that has Lamar Jackson now, you know, get hot and lead a team that has a very good defense like Baltimore does and figures out a way to, you know, play their style of football, even if they have to take it on the road. But I think you're right. I, I could not make a prediction right now. I'm so real confident about it. I think there's five, six, maybe seven teams that if they got hot might win, might win the AFC. Coach, we've seen the changes in rules to the NFL offenses. We've seen Obviously, that Rams-Chiefs game on the Monday night where we're putting up basketball scores. It looks like Big 12 football. Has the NFL gone too far with this whole offensive thing? Are you good with all the points being scored and we're protecting the quarterbacks, we're protecting the offense? I think it's almost illegal to play defense right now. Do you like the changes? Would you rather have it a little more toward the middle? or? Oh, you know, I I understand what they're doing. I don't really like it, though. Yeah. Um, And the rules, if if you really watch how referees are – implying their judgment and what calls they're making or not making. The, the guys are too fast. The game, uh, you know, the game's going too fast. They're too big. You know, things are just happening so fast to expect the guy to position his head in the exact right position to avoid helmet-to-helmet contact, for example. You're, you're asking the impossible. You know, it just, you know, they're, they're flying around and, and you know, the natural... Uh, reflex that you're going to do is you're about ready to get hit, you lower the head and, you know, and asking a, a defender that's coming in at 40 miles an hour to reposition his head to avoid that. Kind of, and I just, I just, I think they're asking the impossible, so I don't like it. I think I would much prefer that if they would just be upfront and say, okay, you need all you need to sign a waiver. You understand what you're getting yourself into. You're risking your, your head. You're risking the rest of your body to play this game. And if you don't want to do that, then don't sign this waiver. Don't come into our league and establish another league out there for guys that want to play more of the flag football style of football. Seven on seven type, you know, wide open. You know, maybe it's the Canadian Football League model or whatever, which is a little bit more wide open. But I I wish they would approach it that way because I I, I think they're trying to mandate and legislate the impossible, especially with with the type of athletes that play that sport. I, I just don't think they're going to be very successful. And I think you can do some things with the equipment, with the fields. That would be a lot more conducive to help, you know, cut down on concussions and CTE, which I totally agree with. But I, I, I the game has changed so much that I even find myself sometimes not even wanting to watch NFL football anymore because it really is just glorified, you know, flag football. And the, the quarterback's, protected so much and, and wide receivers are protected so much and you know me I love my defense no matter what sport 
NHL is to level playing field for both the defense and the offense to put out a good product. I think it's skewed towards the offense way too much. Well, I do too. And if I'm a young player coming out today, there's no way I'm playing defense. I can't make my money yeah. over there. I've got to go to the exactly. offensive side of the ball. And you know, one of the things yeah. that I'd really like them to focus on is I'd really like them to focus on teaching kids how to tackle correctly. We see these kids yeah. come up and try to, you know, lay these knockout hits and, and I get it. I love the knockout hits as much as anyone, but it's not always that effective as far as a tackler. We're not right. seeing kids learn to tackle the way that they should. If you're tackling effectively, if you're tackling correctly, you shouldn't be leading with your head. It's a horrible way to tackle. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, even at, uh, you know, my level where I oversee football, you know, middle school football, high school football, uh, the heads up tackling program is, is really big for the high schools and middle schools to, to teach that that skill of making sure that you're not leading with your head and helmet. And and it's, it's really improved a lot, but we still have a long ways to go. Yeah, we do. Coach, we talked a little bit about the AFC. The NFC, on the other hand, is stacked. You've got the New Orleans Saints. You've got the Los Angeles Rams, the Chicago Bears, maybe someone like the Minnesota Vikings. But we saw the Dallas Cowboys get a big win on Thursday night against New Orleans. Do we have to put Dallas in that contender category now? You know, I look at the NFL, and I think you probably would agree, the NFL is built totally on having a, a league where everybody is 8-8. Eight eight. So parity is very important to the NFL. And they've done a really, really good job of establishing that model where really if, you, if everything was equal across the board, everybody should be 8-8. Eight eight. But the difference obviously now is who's your quarterback. You know, and if you if you have an elite quarterback, then you have a chance to maybe go 10, 6, 11, and 5 because of the difference in your quarterback compared to the other quarterbacks. So to me still, when I look at both conferences, that's why I'm going to go with New England and Brady, even though he's probably a year or two probably from being done finally. And I'm, I'm going to go with probably Drew Brees, New Orleans, as the team from the NFC just because I think the way the rules are, the way the league is set up, it's always going to cater to who has the best quarterback. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, the one thing that did encourage me just a tiny bit, a tiny bit about that Dallas win was the fact that the Dallas Cowboys beat that high-powered Saints offense and they did it with defense and they did it not with edge rushers, not with cornerbacks or, or defensive, but they did it being stout up the middle and getting pressure up in their face, maybe there's still a place for that sort of play in the NFL if you build your team correctly from the football out, not the opposite. Yeah, no, I agree. And one thing I was looking at, you know, and, and I'm not a betting guy, but if I was a betting guy, to me, and I and I always pick the games just out of fun, not for money or anything, but I always look at who has the greater sense of urgency and who's playing for what and especially at the NFL level. So, you know, if, if the Saints are coming in and, and they've been on a big roll, but they really don't need to win that game, then I'm always very leery of can they win because they're really not going to play with the sense of urgency where the Cowboys, they have to have that game to stay in the playoff hunt. They're at home. You know, they're probably playing for Coach Garrett's coaching career, you know, if they don't start to, to make some noise in the playoffs. So, I always really try to look at that sense of urgency to really decide, you know, who has the best opportunity to win a game. And that's why I think when you get to the playoffs, I really always go back to that quarterback because now the sense of urgency usually is typically equal across the board. So you're going to go with your, your best playmakers in, in those 
Hey, tomorrow we are actually going to jump into the world of basketball with Coach Mac. You know, a number of interesting storylines are taking place in the NBA, a number of interesting storylines taking place in college basketball. We still have a ton to talk about here on The Dose with a guy who knows the game of basketball as good as anyone does. You do not want to miss our conversation as we continue with Coach Russ McKinstry. Hey, thank you all so much for listening to and for sharing the show. Thank you for the emails, the texts, and the tweets. Don't forget to head over to Tee Public and finish up some of that holiday shopping with some of the latest Daily Dose gear. We would appreciate that all so much. I have to say thank you to JSP. Could not do any of this without you. I will see you all tomorrow. Have a great Wednesday.